Father, we bless your name that we're able to go through your word, Lord, but we know that the design of it is that the word would go through us. So I pray, Lord, even now that as our Bibles are opened, is that more importantly, God, that our hearts would be opened uh, individually and as a church. You're so worthy, Lord, receiving the honor of our life, the surrender of our soul, the yieldedness of our minds to who you are today. That you would have not a place in our life, but that you would have supremacy over all of our lives. And if that move needs to take place, that it would take place this very day. That you would be Lord of all, of everything, paramount, of greatest priority. And that the heartbeat of your church would beat the way that it did in the book of Acts. That we would see a revival that would take place first amongst your people. And that we would watch it spread until you come back and call your church home. We love you, Jesus, but we are so thankful that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2 if you want to turn there with me. I hate to say it, but because it's Bible prophecy that a good, healthy church is getting harder and harder to find. Amos prophesies that there's a, a, a famine in the land, not a bread of water, but a hearing of the word of the Lord. Sometimes that's because the, folk, the pulpits are failing to teach it. Other times it's because the congregation's failing to hear it. Things can dry up. Things can shiv shrivel up. But when I look in the Bible, I look at churches like this. And I wanted to tackle this church. We spent a long time in Genesis and the Old Testament. We'll get back there. But I thought it would be very important for us just to get some good New Testament teaching. And I don't think there's probably a better church to really look at than the church of Thessalonica that we're looking at here in 1 Thessalonians. This was probably the first letter that Paul wrote. And he wrote it to this church. We've been in here for a few weeks. But our conclusion up to this point about this church should be that it's a church to emulate and it's a church to imitate. They had great soul character. Not just church reputation, they had soul character. They were full of faith, they were full of hope, and they were full of love. That's what was going on on the inside. And we need to remember that the church is not architecture. The church is the hearts and the minds of God's people. That's what was taking place in these people's lives. They were a church of example, but they were a church that was gospel-centered. I hope you got that last week as we looked at Paul's emphasis and overemphasis of what he was willing to do. Because he was in a battle and a struggle for men's soul that needed the gospel. We're going to be looking at verse 13 today. 
We'll probably be there for a minute. I don't know how far we're going to get because I never know how far we're going to get. But we're going to be in the Bible. And this verse really is the heartbeat of this church. Everything that we saw in chapter 1 can be unlocked because of the perspective that this church had about their Bibles, about the Word of God. This is what led to their effectiveness. Remember, they were examples. Who they were sounded out to the other churches. They provoked other churches to love and good works. They had biblical prosperity. They had spiritual growth. They had Christ-likeness. And most important, they were pleasing in the sight of God. Not just by their position, but by their action. Not just by their belief, but by their behavior. And this is the whole reason why, in verse 13, Paul says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. So Paul goes on with a perpetual praise for what the Spirit of God was doing through the work of God in the people of God at the church at Thessalonica. And I'm telling you what, if you got Paul giving thanks for your church, you must be doing something right. Because Paul was all about doing church God's way. Paul was all about doing ministry Jesus' way. Paul was all about doing things the biblical way. And he was so thankful, perpetually giving thanks without ceasing. Anytime this church came up, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you're doing there. Because of this, he says, when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us. Remember, Paul was there three weeks before. He got beaten and, and walked into town, bloodied up, uh, still wounds healing, and he got chased out of town because of the persecution. He was in that synagogue for three days, but what he was doing, he took the time, he redeemed the time, and he preached the cross and the resurrection. That's the gospel. That's what changes people's lives. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, about how Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins and how he rose again the third day. You can't leave the resurrection out of the gospel. Because that was the validation as we're going to see next week. And that's what gives us hope. And we have the knowledge of his presence with us continually. So it's so important for you and I to ask ourselves truly, how do we see the word of God? And what do we do with the word of God? Now this word here, it says that you received it. I want you to think of it. So every individual, right, they're gathered together like this in the town of Thessalonica a couple thousand years ago. All the individuals in the church. And this is what he said. You received it. When you received the word of God. That word in the Greek, paralobano. You know what that means? He took it, they, take, they took it to themselves. It's like, that's for me. They weren't sitting there thinking, that's for my spouse. Or my kid needs to hear this. Or I wish so-and-so was here. But this is for me. That's how they took it in. They came and they were ready to hear. They wanted to hear what was going to be taught to them out of the Bible. And they were open and ready. They had their heart plowed up. They plowed up the fallow ground of their heart so the seed of God's truth could get in there and do the work that only it could do. He said, how you received the word of God, paralambano, you took it to yourself. But he says here that when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. That word receive literally means you embraced it with the mind and the heart. 
So the word of God had supremacy. The word of God had authority and a word of God had rule over the hearts and the minds of these individuals in this church. They weren't playing around. They weren't playing church. They were doing discipleship. They chose a God honoring life. And the dividends where they were effective, they were examples, they were witnesses, their life counted on this side of eternity because they did it Jesus' way. When you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. Okay, so they looked beyond the writing of Moses. They looked beyond the writings of the gospel writers, if they even had it at this time. They, they looked beyond the writing of Isaiah. They looked beyond that. They had a different view of the scripture. They didn't limit it to the human author. But they recognize this about the Bible, and I sure pray that we do, because if not, we need to know this today, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It literally means it's God-breathed. That's what our Bible is. This book's alive. It's the, only bi- it's the only book you'll ever own that lives. It's a living book. All Scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We remember what happened in the book of Genesis. We just went through it months ago, how God had created Adam out of the the dust of the ground, and he breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living being. That's what God's breath did for Adam, okay? Now, God's not breathing oxygen into you and I, but he's breathing his truth into our souls that it would produce life for us. We should not, as God's people, just be settling for existing day after day, year after year, but we're truly living because the word of God is going into us because of the way that we see it, that it is given by inspiration of God. It's literally God-breathed. When Jesus, after his resurrection, he, he, he stepped into the upper room and the disciples were there and they were full of faith and, and he said, peace be unto you. And he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came in them. The Spirit of life came in them. It wasn't enough for them to go do ministry. They had to wait for the promise from the Father on high, but they had the indwelling at that time. They had the teacher. They had the guide. They had the convictor living within them. Because that's what God does when God chooses to breathe. Look, look at what Peter says. Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The message of God's word births life. That's what it did for Peter. He was speaking from experience. When Christ spoke his truth into me, I accepted it, I received it, and it changed me. That's what happened with these individuals. When the gospel came to them by Paul through suffering, through wounds, he was willing to do it for their souls, that they received it. And it was just the good news of the gospel. It was the cross and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul t- or Peter tells us in 2 Peter that no prophecy of the scriptures by any pri- uh, private interpretation. It's not by human will. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Conclusion, 
the author of this book, 66 different books, 40 different authors, but the author is the Holy Ghost. This book has life. This is God-breathed. This will change you. It changed them. They turned from idols to serve the true and the living God. If you will, let me turn to Mark chapter 4. You remember what Jesus told us? Take heed how you hear. What does he mean by that? Well, I can be a receptive hearer or a non-receptive hearer. Jesus gives a parable, and I love this parable, and I think really we have to look at this because there's a good chance that there's people in here that the Word of God means nothing to them. And there's a good chance that the Word of God, there's people in here that the Word of God means everything to them. And there's a good chance that there's people in here that are everywhere in between. And I love this parable. And I'll never forget the first time I taught this parable in the old chapel on a Sunday morning. You know, it's the parable of the sower that goes out to sow the seed. And the thing that God put on my heart is that this, this sower was going to sow the seed and it was going to hit four different kinds of soils. But what I love about the sower is he threw the seed everywhere. He did not judge the soil. Because you don't know the soil. And the soil that we're going to see here really is a picture. And that's what Jesus would do. He'd speak a parable. It was a, it was a physical illustration to, to show to the mind a divine truth, a biblical truth, a principle of heaven. And so the sower goes out and he, and he sows seed everywhere on all these different kinds of grounds. But if you pick up in verse 14 with me, Mark 4, 4 14, this is what he's talking about here as he explains it to his apostles. The sower sows the word, okay? As the word goes forth today, it's being sowed. It's being sown. When you read your devotions, the word of God is being sown. When, when you listen to ZXV and you're hearing great Bible teaching, the word is being sown. But he says, and these are they, so he's going to explain the previous part of what he shared. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they've heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So this heart, the word of God just sits on the surface and the devil has the ability to come and take it away. So what does that mean? It doesn't sink in and it produces no change at all. None. They might show up week after week, but because your heart is hard, the word of God has no effect. And these are they likewise, which are sown on the stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness, okay? Very emotional. And, and they have no roots in themselves, and they endure but for a time afterwards, and when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. They fall away. They can't handle the adversity. Something we need to remember, this word afflicted is mentioned several times in the book of Thessalonians, because you know what? They were afflicted, and they kept going. They kept going. Because when they received the gospel, they didn't put conditions on it. They knew that they were sinners that needed a Savior, that Christ came to die on a cross for their sins, and they, they just said, okay, man, you are going to be my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. I give my life to you. There was no conditions. 
You signed up for an easy ride. You didn't hear the true gospel. And these are they which are sown amongst thorns, such as they hear the word, and the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, they enter in, they choke out the word, it becomes unfruitful. So what do you have? You have the individual, adversity caused them to walk away. Now you have these individuals, and temptation causes them to walk away. In verse 20, though, and these are they which are sown on the good ground. They hear the word. And they receive it, receive it, paralambano. They take it to themselves. You know, the only person you have any control over that word getting into today is your own self. As much as you might want your spouse to hear it, as much as you might want your teenager to hear it, the only control you have over that word is it going into yourself. So they receive it. And they bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. That's what was going on in this church. They were fruitful. They were a fruitful church because of their perspective of the Bible. Look, at there is such a great danger today to settle for a non-exercised academic Christian belief system and to see the Word of God in noun form only and not verb. James, man, he lays it on the line. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The, you know, the hearers only club has far too many members in it. The things that we hear, the things that we see when we read this should be the things that we reflect when other people see us. Remember, Paul said we'd be like living epistles, that people are going to read our lives and he challenges what kind of fabric of an individual are we going to be for the glory of God? Receiving the word of God, Paralambano, take it to yourself. Young teenage girl, angel shows up. Explains to her she's found grace from the Lord. And she was going to be pregnant, didn't know how, but he said the Holy Ghost will come upon you and that holy thing that will be conceived of you will be the Son of God. He's going to rule, you know, he's going to take the throne of David. So you got this young girl with all her dreams in the midst of her engagement, perplexed. But heaven sent a message to her. She didn't have her Bible like you and I have. Heaven sent a message to her. And this is what she proclaimed back. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. You know what that is? That's receiving the word of God. That's receiving heaven's message. That heaven's message can do something in you, with you, and through you. That's what that is. That's what she did with heaven's message. You know, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hear the word of God, and they keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God. We want the blessed life, right? We all want to be like, Lord, bless me, bless them, bless everybody, right? But he tells us that the blessed life are those who hear the word of God and they keep it. They keep it by doing it. They're receiving it into their lives. We need to remember that the problem is never with the word of God, but sometimes it can be with our heart condition, the soil of our heart. And it's so important for you and I to get ourselves 
to the cross and to allow our hearts to be softened by the love of God so that the truth can continually be planted within us and have its work. That it can have its work. In football, there are men positioned in the position of being a wide receiver and when the ball comes to them, they got to focus on receiving that football. Because a completed reception moves you forward towards your goal against your opponent. But an incomplete reception can keep you stuck right where, you're at, right where you are or maybe even give your opponent the opportunity to move forward against you. It's very important that when God is throwing a truth to us that we're receiving that truth. That it's a completion on his end into our heart and that we don't drop that truth. You can go back to uh, Thessalonians. But, it is, but as it is the truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The work of the word of God is linked here to our belief, to us believing it. I don't think there's been a greater emphasis the Holy Spirit's put on my personal life in the last two years other than to trust God, that my belief has to be my trust. We're living in today's, these days, man. You can't believe anything you hear. But you can believe everything that you hear out of the Bible. Because this is the sure foundation our lives have been called to be built upon. And this is the evidence of whether I am truly receiving it or not because I see the word at work in my life. If the word of God is not working then I have to conclude that I'm not receiving. And the problem isn't with the word of God. The problem is with the soil condition of my heart. And that's where I got to get before God and embrace one of my best friends called repentance or ask for forgiveness or get something right or make a confession with the Lord, whatever it might be. But the word of God is designed to work. It's not a non-working word. It's a working word. And the whole fruit of it, the key, like I said before, is all the exhortation that we saw in chapter 1. What God was doing in them. What God was doing through them. And this wasn't chill out from one conference to another conference. They were taking the word of God in affliction. They were suffering persecution. This was not an easy thing for them. But they kept moving on. In verse 4, he says, For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen. Look, here's the bottom line here. The churches of God here. We live in a day, okay, we live in a prophetic day. And it's so important that you and I know Bible prophecy. This, this church knew Bible prophecy, and it kept them full of hope, and it kept them full of purity, and I think it impacted the way they did church because Bible prophecy was laced throughout this, throughout this epistle. 
But if you know Bible prophecy, you know that Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are really a landscape of the church from the church at Ephesus to the church of Laodicea. And, and, and he wrote to the church of Ephesus, and then he would write to the church in Smyrna, in Thyatira, in Pergamos, in Sardis, in Philadelphia. But then he gets to the last church, right, which is so symbolic of the church age in which we live. And he says the church of the Laodiceans. Whose church was it? It was the Laodiceans church. We'll take it from here, Lord. And they weren't relying on him anymore. They weren't leaning on him. He wasn't the source of everything they needed. They were a self-sufficient church. Now, now, here's the thing. This is what we see today in the landscape of our country. Man has gone to the helm of the church. If Jesus Christ does not remain at the helm of this church, I pray it shuts down immediately. Churches of God use godly ways to bring people to Christ. Churches of men use worldly ways to bring people to church. Churches of God cause transformation. Churches of men cause attending. A church of God causes us to be experientially educated. It's the Spirit of God works the Word of God in our lives. Churches of men are all about entertaining. Churches of God, people are called to be holy. Churches of men, people are called to be hip. Churches of God, we assemble together. We're interconnected. Churches of men we're, uh, are isolated even when they're together. Churches of God, they hear to do. Churches of men, they just hear. When you're in a church of God, you're exhorted to serve. When you're in a church of men... You're just there to be served. The church of men, their chief focal point is numbers and money. Numbers and money. In a true church of God, the chief focal point is giving glory to Jesus Christ, the preaching of the pure word of God, and the glorious gospel that saves lost people's souls. Acts chapter 2 gives us the essentials of what church is. It's the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God. It's the breaking of bread, taking communion together, remembering the greatest act of love and sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. It's prayer and it's fellowship. It's connecting with one another. We assemble together. We're all part of this together. Each one of us play our role in what God is doing in his church. But this church here, it says that you've suffered like things of your own. Of, this is a suffering church of your own countrymen, even as you have of the Jews. They were suffering of their own countrymen, just like Jesus did at the hands of the Jews, in case you and I haven't noticed it. Our countrymen are rapidly growing more intolerant for Christianity. For Christians, for Bibles, and for churches. Why? Because divine truth makes enemies. Divine truth makes enemies. Light is hated by darkness. 
Jesus told us that in John 3. Why? Because the illumination of Christ in you exposes the fact that their deeds are evil. And they hate you for that. Your life carries conviction. And they hated Christ, and Christ is the one that now dwells in us. He goes on to say that they killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. They persecuted us. They pleased not God, and they're contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Fill up their sins. Paul's cup was empty of his sins, and he was one of the ones that actually used to do this. So I think he was remembering the Saul's life. But can you imagine the accountability of people who willfully hindered the gospel? Can you imagine the accountability for these people? The accountability of people who were calling the government, calling the health department to harass churches and to fine churches for doing our God-given right and our constitutional right. Can you imagine accountability? Whoever did it to us, I pray God forgives them. I don't want to see his wrath on them. I want to see his mercy. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, we endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul said, look, my presence isn't there, but my heart is. You know, and I'm sure you've experienced that. You know, I've gone on mission trips. I remember I went on a mission trip, and, you know, you go over to Verizon, and you're like, hey, you know, I want one of those global chips so I can check in at home, because even though my body's going to be in Cuba, I want... I want to have contact at home because that's where my heart's going to be, you know. And I go over there to get my global chip. I probably shared this with you before. And they looked at me and shook their head. I'm like, well, what's the problem? They said, well, there is a problem. I'm like, well, what's the problem? They're like, well, you picked one of three countries in the whole world where we can have some no cell signal. Iran, North Korea, and Cuba. So, you know, while I was there, man, my heart was longing for home because my loved ones were at home. And that's the way Paul felt about this, this church. He goes, hey, I might not be there with you, but, but I long for you. I'm not there in presence, but I am in heart, endeavoring the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul said once again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered it. Look at the devil's work. Okay, the devil's work is to keep us from fellowshipping. We need to know that. The devil's work is to disconnect, to disassemble God's church. Because you know what? He knows this. In the church, man, when it comes to spiritual warfare against his kingdom and the blindness that he's keeping on men's eyes, our strength is not found in numbers, but our strength is found in unity. That early church was unified, man. They were of one accord. And I'm telling you, they turned the world upside down. And you know what they did? They fellowshiped when they were told not to. They fellowshiped when they were told not to. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how you view it, 
But I can promise you this, and I can guarantee you this. In the spiritual realm, with our enemy being Lucifer, the fallen angel that we know as Satan, I'll guarantee you that the primary purpose of what just happened in our country the last couple of years was to shut down the church from preaching the gospel. That was the primary purpose. You can put the political slant on it and whatever, but Satan just uses people like puppets, and he does not want people snatched out of his kingdom because Jesus said we would. He said that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. You know what that makes? That, that, that puts the gates of hell on the defense, not the offense, the church on the offense. Preaching the gospel, letting the wonderful word of God do the amazing work that only it can do. Satan looks to hinder fellowship, but, but this is what I love because here, here's the bottom line. Think about this, how, how God takes something evil and he turns it to the good. You know what would have happened if Satan... I love it because the Lord in his wisdom, right? And, and remember, you got to remember that the opposite of God, the opposite of Jesus is not Satan, okay? The opposite of Satan is, is Michael the archangel, okay? God's supreme, you know? He's creator. Satan was created. But, but God in his wisdom uh, can beat the devil at his own game. Here's the bottom line. If, if Paul would have got there, if Satan didn't hinder him, you know what I, you and I wouldn't have? We wouldn't have First and Second Thessalonians. We wouldn't be able to glean from these wonderful truths. And in chapter 4, we have the most amazing passage about the pre-trib rapture of the church. We wouldn't have that. So as much as we see the devil on the move, trust me, God's always countermatching him with something for the good. You know, we, we see the first martyr of the church. Remember Stephen Stone and, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they laid their coats and, and Saul at this time voted for his death and everything. And at that time, there was persecution on the church and the church was scattered. You know what happened when the church scattered? Revival went other places. Who created it? The devil. Who created the fact that you and I have first... Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Satan hindering Paul from getting there. So you and I would have these scriptures here today. Take a look at Paul and Barnabas when they had a great conflict. Man, they had a big disagreement over John Mark and it seems like they've gotten a heated argument with one another. The flesh probably showed up, but you know what it did? Took the most dynamic worship, or, uh, mission team and it made it two mission teams. You know, God is what takes something that's looked like it's meant for evil and he turns it to the good. So he says, Satan hindered us. And I'll tell you what, and I know how it is, because on Sunday morning, you know, the enemy is trying to convince you to stay home. Don't go to church. It's not that important. You can watch it online. But you got to remember that, that we have a responsibility to one another because every one of us bring our own peace to this family. Every one of us have our own gifts and our own talents and our own service. We have our own experiences that we get to sow into one another's lives. It's not just about the worship team playing four songs and a preacher giving you a message, but it's about your involvement in one another's life. That's what a true body is. That's what happened at the church at Thessalonica. They were in one another's lives. They cared about each other. They prayed each other through things. And they suffered together. But they encouraged each other through it. 
He says, what is our hope or, or joy or even our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Paul said, look at my reward is a preacher of the gospel. You saw my stripes when I was there. You saw me get chased out of town. You know those are the things that are still going on in my life. But my reward on this side of eternity is the fact that knowing you're going to stand with me on the other side. That was the reward. That's what he cared about. He cared about the fact that these people someday would be in heaven with him. The rewards of this life, truly, the rewards of this life are relational and eternal. Relational and eternal. I believe for us, right, are not even you. He's saying that to the church. You, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. That is common. Speaking about Jesus coming again. This is what he kept emphasizing in his church. Are not even you. You're going to be there too. Here's the bottom line. We have to live for the future as much as we live for the present. We have to live for the future as much as we live for the present. And it speaks about our mindset. It speaks about the way that we see this life. Remember Paul said this, you know, the things that are seen, those are the things that are temporal, but the things that are unseen, those are the things that are eternal. And God wants us to see the unseen truths through the lens of his scriptures. He says, for you are our glory and our joy. Paul spoke about the joy that he had for this church because of what the word of God did converting their souls. But, but think about this. Is there any better news on earth than when someone gets truly saved? I feel like, you know, when you hear someone get saved and if that doesn't do something to your heart, you, you, gotta, you gotta do some investigating in there because the Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes to repentance. And, and, and when they were rejoicing in heaven, Paul was rejoicing on earth. That was what, what meant so much to him. That's what brought so much joy to him. He says, you are our glory and our joy. He says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And he says this, I sent Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God, fellow labor in the gospel of Christ to establish you and comfort you concerning the faith. Here's the thing about Timothy. He gets a bad rap. You know, because we know he was a little timid. We know that he had ulcers. Paul told him that, you know, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake because the, the medicinal value of wine because of probably the ulcers or the sores or whatever was going on inside of Timothy. But this guy was under great duress and he was still pressing forward in his weakness, trusting God to be his strength. Now, if you will, I mean, look at the character of this guy because I think the church needs Timothy's today. He says our, he's our brother, so first of all, he's saved, but he's a minister of God. He shows up as a servant, to serve, not to be served. He says, and he's our fellow laborer in the gospel. So he's working hard to do whatever he needs to do to help Paul to get the good news of Christ into people's lives. And he says he can't, he's coming. This is his purpose. He's commissioned to <coughs> establish you and comfort you concerning the faith, strengthen you and to comfort you. If you will, go to Philippians chapter 2 of me just for a moment. 
So I want you to think about Timothy, okay? We're going to close out here, but just dial in real quick. And I think, you know, if we're wise, we should have a Paul in our life. Like Timothy had. But I think also we should have a Timothy in our life like Paul had. A father in the faith. Someone whose faith to emulate. An example. Who, who speaks forth wisdom. Who walks in love. An eternal purpose. And then an individual to invest in. Like the Word of God tells us, these things that you've heard commit unto faithful men that might be able to teach others also. But this is what Paul says when he writes to the believers of Philippi. Verse 19, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly to you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now the backdrop to Timothy as an individual, he's taught the scriptures as a child, but his mom and his grandma had an unfeigned faith and his dad was an unbeliever. And he might not even been involved in his life. We don't know. But his mom and his grandma had an unfeigned faith and they raised him in the scriptures. But look what Paul says here. I want you to have this mindset when you think of Timothy. For I have no man like-minded. That word there in the Greek literally means an equal soul. He's equal soul to me. Equal soul. Paul says he's my equal. And I'm going to send him to you. Because I know he's going to care about things I care about that are the things Jesus cares about. And he's going to serve you the way I would serve you, the way Jesus served me. He says that this about this man. So he's an equal-souled man. He's like my. He's naturally going to care for your state. He doesn't even have to work it up. It's just natural. He cares about you. This is what Paul said. Look at his experience trying to trying to help train up pastors and everything. For all seek their own, not the things of Christ. Not Timothy. Timothy wasn't seeking his own. He was seeking the things of Christ. But you know the proof of him that is the son with the father. He has served with me in the gospel. In the gospel. He suffered for souls. He worked hard to build the church. When other people like Demas were forsaking Paul, Paul could look to his side and still see Timothy there. So when you read about him maybe needing to take a swig of wine for his ulcers, this guy was under so much duress, but there was no quit. And strength is really measured in endurance, in perseverance, regardless of the adversity it comes a believer's way. So, Father, we bless you that you have given us a word that works in our lives. And I pray today, Lord, the things that we have looked at, that our hearts would be open to receive these truths.
And we ask God that you would tenderize our heart or that you would plow up the fallow ground so that it wouldn't fall to the wayside, so that it wouldn't be choked, so that it wouldn't stumble away in afflictions, but that it would be received so that each of us here could bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Because we know from what you taught us that you, Father, are glorified when we bear much fruit. So thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for examples like this church. Thank you for examples like Paul and Timothy. We pray, God, as we yield our minds and as we yield our hearts to you, that we would be surrendered to the supremacy and to the authority of your wonderful word. We got a book here called Our Bible that lives and breathes. It's living and it's active. And I pray, God, that it would have its way with each one of us. So someday, each of us can enjoy fellowshipping together around the throne of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, reflecting upon your faithfulness for what you did for us while we were here. In Jesus' name, amen.